to you from the City of Roses. This is the broadcast by Lash Professionals and for Lash Professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we have a treat for you guys. We have Dr. Matthew Zyrus joining us. I almost said Dr. Warren Stout. He, that's our other good doctor friend. Dr. Zyrus is someone we recently I know while working at Loom. He's a consultant with the company, and he's the founder of Bexley Dermatology. He's a specialist when it comes to allergy patch testing and eczema. He consults for companies like Loom that we work at or work with, along with Google, Facebook, all laundry detergent, and other places and companies. He's really um, written the book when it comes to contact dermatitis. What contact dermatitis guys that's the last allergy we deal with this all the time in our industry and we really wanted to sit down with one of the leading thought leaders in our industry or in the medical world when it comes to contact dermatitis and that's who dr zyrus is and he was really we were really lucky enough or blessed enough to have him say yeah sure i'll hang out on your podcast and talk to you guys about all things allergies he's going to dispel some myths I, I, we really sit down and talk about some things that people say well what about this what about that and he's going to give you the straight truth on what all this is this is all he does this is his business at dealing with allergies and figuring out what people are allergic to. So you're going to get a lot of this episode. I'm sure you will. By the way, this will go alongside with our episodes that we've done with Dr. Warren Stout. So if you want to make it a medical day, um, take care of this episode, then look back for the Dr. Stout's episodes. And you in these two episodes, guys, you will get so much good information that will help you become a smarter and better lash artist when it comes to dealing with allergies in our industry. Now let's do a couple quick announcements. We have the lash. He's still going on one more week, guys, away to sign up. You want to do that today. This is the Lash Business Awards. There's plenty of lash awards, right? This is about focusing and really giving honor to those businesses that do great work. And by the way, there's two divisions. There's the solo artist as well as a lash salon. So you don't, if you're a lash salon, you're like, well, I don't know if I can do it. That's okay. You're not competing against all the solo artists out there. And the same, the other way it goes to, for the solo artists. You're not competing against lash salons. You're going to be basically competing against other lash artists. And you're just going to be looking at five categories that you're going to be judging on. And you can pick any one. You don't have to enter all of them. You just can pick ones that you feel strong in. So the best overcoming story, best customer service, best client retention and referral, best use of technology, and best salon design. So right now, go to link in our bio or in our show notes and go and sign up today, guys. Maybe it'll take an hour or two. It doesn't have to take a long time. Fill that application, send it in. And by the way, this is your best chance of winning this year because I'm sure this will be our smallest entry. It won't be... 5,000 entries, guys. Maybe we'll have a hundred, a couple hundred entries. And so this is your chance. You could be win the first year it's out before it becomes the go-to award show in the world. But until then, this is your chance to get in and be honored and get that third-party validation that you can use to help sell and market yourself as a last business. Also, we have our tickets still going on, our sales, and we delayed the price increase. So don't worry. We had said that the price increase was a week or two ago. It's been delayed just because of COVID and all the craziness. We want to give you guys a little bit more time to buy your tickets. Currently, we have, we're a little short of 400 people coming, and we think we're going to get about 500, 550. So there's still plenty of room for you to get your tickets and come. Also, guys, we have Tussney's Last Retention and Styling Course in Las Vegas coming up September 18th to the 19th. We still have a couple spots there for that. So if you go to the show notes or the link in our bio on our Instagram, you can sign up today and you can come hang out with us in Vegas in September. And if that's not, if that's too soon, we are also now adding some dates in 
Texas, um, October 16th to the 17th. The link should be in the show notes as well as on our Instagram. And you can come hang out with us at Shelby Lash Boss Radio, Pink Lady Lashes Salon in Austin, Texas. Texas is going to be awesome, guys. You can finally learn how to get your lashes to last four weeks long instead of the usual two to three weeks. All right, guys, that's all the announcements I have for you today. And now let's get into our little episode where we sit down with Dr. Zyrus and talk all things allergies. Hey everyone, we are here in the LashCast studios, excited because we have a very special guest. But before we get to our guests, I want to say, hey, Tuss, welcome. Well, thank you, my dear. Good to see you. And Good to see you. today's going to be interesting because I think I'm going to be mostly a bystander. I'm just going to be sitting here enjoying watching you be on, uh, on point. So why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest today? I'm so lucky. I mean, <laughs> I am. I'm so lucky to have met Dr. Zyrus. He is on the board at Loom uh, for the medical director, and he is a dermatologist. He specializes in patch testing and contact dermatitis. And so that's how we first met. We met when he came on to advise the board, and I got to pick his brain. And so he very graciously accepted the invitation. So thank you so much for being here, Dr. Zyrus. I am so thrilled to be here. And, uh, you know, I, I want to start by saying a couple of things. First, how happy I am to talk to, to lash artists, because I still remember the first time that now my ex-wife, but the first time she got extensions, she didn't tell me she was getting them. And she came home and I was like, you look amazing. Like, what did you do? What happened? Did you get like and we hadn't seen each other for about a week so i was like I, did you have like some major procedure what and she was like no it's my eyelashes and I got the, <laughs> like it, it was stunning to me what a difference it makes so I, I truly appreciate the value of what you guys do second just a quick disclaimer that nothing i'm that i say today should be taken as medical advice i'm going to be talking about how i as a dermatologist approach the clients that I have with eyelid problems ranging from my eyelids are sensitive all the way to I'm in the hospital, my eyelids are swollen, my eyes are swollen shut. But with individual clients, absolutely, you need to use your own professional judgment. You you need to refer people out to a, a qualified dermatologist if, if you've got somebody with significant problems. I just don't want anybody to kind of take what I'm saying today as, uh, boy, if I see somebody with this, I should mm-hmm. tell them to do that. You still got to use your own professional judgment. Absolutely. And we also know that we are, you know, as beauty professionals, we are not medical professionals. A lot of what we're talking about is beyond our scope of expertise. So the reason why we're bringing it to the audience today is just to help educate, just to give us a point of reference, which is one of the reasons I'm so excited to have you here because you literally wrote the book on contact dermatitis. And they literally mean there's a book. He wrote. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> fabulous. And I'm, I'm hoping that you can talk just a little bit about that and also educate our audience on what your specific specialty is, because it is about allergies and, and, and patch testing. Can you share that? Yeah. So I specialize in both atopic dermatitis, also known as eczema, which first, that is more of a genetic condition where 
your skin just isn't as resistant to the modern world as it ought to be. Those people have very sensitive skin. They're going to be some of the clients who come in and say, boy, every time I get my lashes done, my eyes are burning or irritated. Might not look like much of a rash, but they're going to tell you, boy, it, it for a while afterwards, they really bother me. But then my longer term area of interest has been contact dermatitis. And so contact dermatitis we really define as the skin reacting to something that comes into contact with it. And there are two different types of contact dermatitis. There's allergic contact dermatitis, which the classic example would be poison ivy. And then there's irritant contact dermatitis. Probably the best known example would be during COVID, if you washed your hands 9,000 times a day, you eventually got red and flaky and scaly and itchy on your hands. What is really interesting about those two, though, is that from a medical and scientific perspective, if a patient just walks in with a rash that they say, you know, I'm getting the, I'm getting this reaction and, you know, here are the products that I use and those things, we cannot distinguish between allergic and irritant other than by doing a type of testing called patch testing. What patch testing entails, it's completely different from normal allergy testing. So when I bring this up, people often are, well, I've been, you know, allergy tested and totally different. So a normal allergy test, you go in, they prick you with little needles and they're able to tell immediately if you reacted at any of the little pricks and allergists are testing for allergy to natural things. So pollen, pets, dust, fungus, things like that, insects, peanuts, peanuts, exactly. And latex, right? So even latex is natural. It, it comes from a tree. So what we're testing for as dermatologists, when we deal with contact dermatitis, the is almost exclusively to man-made things or things that have been purified by man. So probably the most common thing is nickel, right? So people who get problems whenever they wear inexpensive earrings, well, technically nickel's natural, but right, it came out of the ground, we refined it, we pure, like, it's not natural in the way that pollen is natural. So by the time we're done messing with it, it's a chemical. So nickel is what's best known, but the things that we're dealing with most commonly are things like the preservative in someone's shampoo, the active ingredients in neosporin, the fragrance in somebody's body wash, things like that. And just to give your, your listeners an idea of what how this testing is different from normal allergy testing, again, you go into the normal allergist, they prick you with a bunch of needles and look to see, did you get a hive, uh, a welt around any of those little needles? Mm -hmm. And then they say, oh, you're allergic to what we poked it with right there. Mm -hmm. It takes, uh, you know, you go in, it gets done while you're in the office. Our testing, you come in, we have pieces of tape that have these little metal discs on them. And our nurse puts one drop of each substance on a little disc, and then we tape those to somebody's back. Those discs stay on their back for about 48 hours. So you leave the office, you go home, you live your life for two days with your back covered in these little discs that have been taped on there. Yeah. In two days, you take the discs off. And it's pretty miserable during those two days because you got this stuff taped your back. It's kind of sweaty. It doesn't feel good. It's painful, but it's miserable. And you take it off after two days. And then we have to wait another two days to see, did we recreate your rash under one of those little discs? So you come back in at four days after we put them on, you come back. And then we're saying, okay, disc number 38, you've got a reaction under 
That is methyl isothiazolinone. That's a common preservative in shampoo and conditioner. What shampoo and conditioner do you use? Oh, I use this. Oh, it was in there. You change your shampoo and conditioner. Now your rashes go away. So it's a more prolonged and involved process than regular allergy testing. But also one of the really nice things about it is that we can truly cure people, right? If you go to see the allergist and they tell you you're allergic to all these different pollens, we can go in and get allergy shots. And that is kind of a cure. But the stuff that we're dealing with is usually things you can tell people, just stay away from it, right? right? You can't stay away from pollen. You can't stay away from dust mites. You can't avoid those. The things that we're dealing with, uh, people can stay away from. So somebody would be coming to you, somebody who has a rash or has developed something that they can't quite figure out in their occupation. Like for beauty professionals, maybe they're getting something on their hands or a cosmetologist or, you know, and they're breaking out in some way and they can't figure it out. So they go to a professional like you to specifically isolate what those things are. Is that, am I hearing it right? That is exactly it. Exactly it. And to find out, is it allergy? Because I mentioned before, and this is something I see all the time. I regularly get patients referred to me after they've had a reaction from lash extensions. It's not constant because the products that are used, the glues are, are actually very infrequent that they cause problems since there are lots of people who get extensions. That's right. Occasionally you still get somebody. So I, I regularly get people referred who had a reaction after extensions. And so question number one is, was this an allergy or was this irritation? And like I said, we can't tell based on the the patient's history, and we can make a good guess, but based on the way that it looks, based on how swollen it is, how red it is, how much it itches, how much it flakes, no idea. Those look exactly the same, whether it's allergy or irritation, but it's really important to know the difference because Mm -hmm. if it's allergy, there is nothing that you as the lash professional could do to prevent them from getting it whenever you, if say they're allergic to the glue, if the person's allergic, I don't care how careful you are. I don't care what you have them do. There's nothing you can do to prevent them from having a reaction. They just can't get lashes anymore. That's right. To be clear, this is such an important point. For the longest time in the industry, nobody talked about this allergy or contact dermatitis. I think a lot of people didn't quite know what it was, so they either attributed it to an infection, like a bacterial infection. You you were a dirty artist. Yeah. Yeah. And so they would say, you have to make sure it's sanitized, or you have to have them take Benadryl ahead of time, all this routine that may or may not have been pertinent. And what happens is, you know, people would get the lashes, and then they'd get swollen the next day, and then they'd try to figure out why, right? So some of the protocols in the very beginning of our industry would be like, okay, you, you must only attach the eyelash extension a millimeter away. But I've been doing this for a while and, you know, consulting with other medical professionals and realizing that it doesn't matter how, you know, if you put it up the hair or down, it's still going to transfer. It can still wick down. If the person's allergic, they're going to be allergic no matter what. So what would happen would be beauty professionals would tell their clients, I'm going to do it this way. And then they would say, so if you do have the allergy or if you are allergic, we're going to tell. And what happened is they would do something different and it would still happen. And they'd think, oh, well, they would sometimes attribute the wrong thing to the behavior. Well, they're always trying to guess what it is. They're saying, is it, well, it's a, a lot of people think it's the carbon black or they think it needs to be a sensitive glue, which has less cyanoacrylate in it or a weaker form of it. So they would think these things would solve it, but the client would still come back 
and have a reaction either way. So I think in this case, we're, we're affirming that, yes, it is one of two things. It's either irritant or allergy. Yeah. And so we have seen two kinds of clients. The way that we have always advocated that people and beauty professionals take care of this is that they tell them ahead of time that there's the possibility of developing contact dermatitis. It usually happens after the third exposure. However, it can happen at any time. After five years. Yeah. yeah. And the treatment for that is a topical steroid. Dexamethasone is, is it? There's other ones like Lodamax and stuff. Remember, as beauty professionals, we don't prescribe, but it is helpful sometimes to talk about it and just explain to the client so that they have that knowledge, so that they feel equipped if they go to the doctor say, if I have swelling tomorrow, it's because I may have contact dermatitis and I may need a script for a topical steroid. I think that's uh, one of the best ways to handle it. But the thing is, is that you can't always tell, like you said, if it's an allergy or if it's just the contact dermatitis. What we've found is that most of the cases, and after talking to you, you kind of affirm this, that, that the true allergy is actually quite rare. There are people that we've seen that they get the extensions and the swelling that they get the day after is out of the world. I mean, it starts to spread outside the orbit and it even starts to spread up to the temples. And once they get the medication, it still will take seven to 10 days for it to absolutely come down. Now, after reading the chapter in your book on the clinical aspects of contact dermatitis, I was like, oh my gosh, that's completely affirming what I have seen in the field that those people they kind of self-select themselves out. They may get the the steroid, put it on ahead of time, and it will mitigate some of that swelling, but they will still get it. And it still lasts for like a week. And usually those people kind of self-select out. So can you talk about that protocol that I just mentioned? Do you think that's a good idea for lash artists to talk about? Absolutely. And and it's actually an interesting question Everything you're saying is right on. I'm always so impressed whenever I talk to you, Tessany, because <laughs> there are many dermatologists who would not be able to discuss this competently. Oh. Um, <laughs> so first, absolutely talking to people about it. And I would even, if I was really, okay, what's the best way to discuss this? And trying to keep in mind for myself that, right, my normal appointment is five to 10 minutes. So <laughs> it is a, I got to be real careful about how much detail I go into uh, you know, you guys have a little bit longer while you're doing it. And I know while you're putting the extensions on, you don't want to be talking about all the bad things that could happen. That's right. You try to but, do that ahead of time. You know, yeah. Yes. But talking about that, you know, there's very, very rare instances where people become allergic to the glue. And yes, that could happen at any time. And, and if you're one of those very rare people, uh, you could get pretty severe swelling, redness, itching. Nothing dangerous could happen to you. There are no reports in the world that I am aware of, of anybody having, you know, damage to their eyes or scarring or something like that. Right. That's a big one, by the way. That is like, I just want to pause and just like put fireworks out because a lot of beauty professionals, a lot of lash artists are really, really scared of this. They're really, really scared. Mm -hmm. They're thinking that they might cause somebody to be blind or damage somebody. I've done surveys where more than 50% of the, at least on Instagram, it's not not scientific by any means, where more than 50% of people think that they might be giving their clients cancer through the glue. Like they don't know because they don't understand the glue. And it's not, I mean, I don't want to mock them, but at the same time, it's just lack of information. It's just so new to them. They just, someone gave them tweezers, someone gave them lashes, and someone gave them glue and said, here, put this on. And they said, no one thought, like, what is this? Is it safe? 
Is it dangerous? What's going on? Okay, yeah. so my sisters yep. out there who are listening, I just don't want you to miss what Dr. Zyrus just said. It's relatively safe. It is not damaging. Even with the allergy. Even with the allergy. You might get swelling, you might get itching, but can you say that again? Because that was just <laughs> so profound. Yes, to my knowledge, not a single case in the world of somebody going blind, having eye damage, having terrible scarring, something like that. Now, could it be they got mismanaged and got treated the wrong way and got an infection and they, but that wasn't the contact dermatitis didn't cause the problem. It was the mismanagement of the contact dermatitis. There is no real, there's no danger of anything medically important happening to somebody. Very annoying. You know, yeah. I, oh yeah, but very upsetting. Nothing upsetting. dangerous can happen. That's wonderful news, and and that's 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 a huge relief. I know that's going to be a huge relief to our audience. Yes, I would talk to people about that. Very rare people will get pretty intense swelling, and that could last up to a week. But that it's fairly common, and and I actually don't know if there's any data, or if you guys have any idea of irritant reactions. So the the way that the octocyanoacrylate glues work. There's some volatile components that can be a little bit irritating. Mm -hmm. And between the cleaning and all of that, it wouldn't surprise me if you guys told me that, you know, one in 10 clients had something, you know, a little bit of, it was irritated. It was a little red, it was swollen and it lasted a day or two. So right. A, a typical irritant reaction, unless you do something just horribly wrong, you know, use the wrong stuff to clean their eyelids or it a normal thing. I would expect the irritant reactions to be relatively mild, to go away within a couple of days. And those are going to be the ones It was so interesting listening to whenever you're talking about the protocols that people used to use. So with allergy, the reason that we talked about earlier, it doesn't matter what you do. Essentially, if you get one molecule of glue on your skin, you're going to get a reaction. With irritant, it totally depends on how much you get on there, how long it's on there for. And so all the stuff you were talking about would make a big difference for irritant, mm -hmm. but it wouldn't make a big difference for allergic. And there would be a lot of like, oh, last time I did this and they didn't get it. This time I did this and they did get that would make perfect sense for irritant reactions, yeah. but not for allergic. Can I just pause on that topic for just a second? Also, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the intact barrier or compromised barrier of the skin a factor as well in irritant? So like if it's more more dry, dry yeah. or, or yeah. the barrier is more compromised, more porous, so to speak, yes. it's going to allow more stuff in, right? Yes. So you, you could not be more right. And that's one of the things that, so one of the most common things that, that will walk into my office are women who say, I'm allergic to all eye makeup. I'm allergic to lash extensions, artificial, anything I put on my eyes, on my eyelids, within hours later that day, they're itching, they're burning, they're swelling. In those instances, so, so first, you can be certain it's not allergy because this type of allergy takes about a day to show up. But you also can be sure it's allergy because people aren't going to be allergic to everything. What's happening in those cases is they have a very mild skin condition, might be atopic dermatitis, might be seborrheic dermatitis, which is the equivalent of dandruff, but you can get it on your eyelids. Uh, or it could be very mild irritant dermatitis from your beauty routine. Like a glycolic acid or a, or yep, a glycolic acid. benzoyl peroxide. Yes. And even a, an exfoliating cleanser or even with your eyelids. One of, So th this is a pearl that I often help have make a big difference for people. So 
one of the most common causes of eyelid problems uh, is shampoo and conditioner. And it's because when you are rinsing your shampoo and conditioner out. Now, for any of you who know Paul, he doesn't have this problem. <laughs> he does not. Right? There no... So many benefits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Matt, I love you. So, so when the shampoo and conditioner are rinsing, your eyes are closed. Mm -hmm. If there is any residue, even a hint of residue left on your eyelids, you then walk around all day with your eyelids open. And when your eyes are open, you create a crease there on your upper eyelid. Mm -hmm. So any residue, the effect gets magnified about 20 fold. Yeah, it's so going to travel it, into that so crease. It's going to travel into that crease. So one of the pearls for people who, who you know, say, oh, I always get a little irritated. Ask them, do you wash your face before or after you rinse out your shampoo and conditioner? And so what you want to do is have people use a low irritancy cleanser. My two favorites are Cetaphil Gentle Skin Cleanser and CeraVe Hydrating Cleanser. But wash your face after you have rinsed out your shampoo and conditioner. And when you wash your face with that gentle cleanser, very consciously, gently, but consciously wash your eyelids, then rinse them really well so that we make sure we don't leave any irritating residue. That That is by far the most common cause of what I would call eyelid dermatitis that is so mild that you don't notice it. You don't see it or feel it. But when you put makeup on, when you put extensions on, when you do whatever on, oh my God, my eyelids are burning and hurting and swelling. That's the most unexpected thing. And if you haven't heard this before, the first time you hear it, you're like, that makes perfect sense. Just never occurred to me before. <laughs> like, why didn't right? I think of that? Yeah. It's brilliant. Yes. So ladies and gentlemen, um, so the protocol <laughs> then would be to tell people, wash your face after you've cleansed your uh, shampoo and condition your hair. And like we tell our clients, make sure that you're not just effervescently like a model splashing the water on your, on your face, on your eyes without actually touching them. When he says very gently, he, he, he motioned with the pads of his finger to just gently swipe the eye. You, you need to get that motion so that it's actually helping to remove that residue. So it's a perfect pearl of wisdom. By the way, I, one of the things I think is really kind of interesting about talking about the irritant contact dermatitis versus the allergic, which would, I would think, explain this thing that we see once in a while from, or from clients. Well, we have clients, you have patients. Um, some people get only one eye would swell. And they call, and because we always say, well, allergies are pretty much going to affect both eyes equally. You're not going to get one or both. Uh, you're only going to always get both. But now, maybe you could help explain this. I would guess that irritant could show up on just one side because one barrier is maybe more compromised than the other. I'm just assuming. Oh, 100%. And it, and it irritant is much more uh, variable. So mm -hmm. the, the kinds of things that play in, uh, you know, what's the temperature been? What's the humidity been? How many times have you gone inside to outside, right? So there's a, your body, a, a big reason a lot of skin conditions get worse in the winter is not that it's generally cold because your skin can, can adapt to anything, but it's going from your outside and it's 30 degrees to your inside and it's 70. Your skin isn't made for that. Yeah. Your skin yeah. isn't made to go in and out a lot. And so even on weekends, when we see people whose skin will get worse, it may be that, you know, instead of being inside at work all day, they were in and out doing things all the time. Yeah. But how much stress you've been under, what you've been eating, if you've been sick lately, if the water's been hotter or colder, if your laundry detergent, if you've been putting bigger loads in, mm -hmm. you're going to get more, you're going to get less effective rinsing 
and you're going to get more larger so, detergent yeah. left in your pillowcases. And then whenever you sleep, you're getting larger detergent on your eyelids, right? So th there are all these different factors that you don't know which one matters, but one eye versus the other. One of the questions that I always ask people is, which side do you sleep on more? Because <laughs> it's, it's more likely they're going to have a problem on that eyelid than on the other eyelid. Yeah. But there, there are lots of reasons you might see one eyelid versus the other. See, but yes, it's, it's going to be irritant, not allergic whenever you see that. Yeah. See, and I know that, you know, light bulbs are going off because people are thinking, oh, exactly. That's why one um, side of the eye may be shedding faster because they're, you know, physically removing them when they're sleeping against their pillow. Now, I know a lot of people are probably thinking, oh, there's so many variables. How can I differentiate? How can I figure it all out? You know, how can I figure out, are they going in and out or, you know, is it... Well, they just want to know, is it, con is it allergic or is it irritant? Now, in the beginning, I used to think that at the beginning of my journey, I thought that everything was allergic. It's a, a type 4 delayed um, hypersensitivity. Yep. And now, as I've learned more, it's a combination of both, right? Can you speak to the protocol? What I like to tell uh, lash professionals, you don't have to figure it out. You don't have to sort it out. You just have to be able to give our clients, your clients, a pathway to uh, get get that problem solved. Your, the client is uh, coming to you and complaining of swelling, irritation. What are you going to do? What are you going to tell them? And the protocol that we've always um, suggested is cleansing and then, you know, tell a doctor that you, you may have contact dermatitis and you may need a, a topical steroid for that. Can you can you speak to that? I agree with that completely. Um the things that might not be there. So this is getting dangerously close to being medical mm -hmm. advice, mm -hmm. but I'm going to put it out there. Right. So the, the <laughs> couple of things that, uh, so first, if, if it's fairly mild, uh, and, and you've got a client who'd be really hard for them to get into the doctor or to urgent care or wherever else, uh, some over the counter 1% hydrocortisone, uh, is going to be adequate for most, cases of irritant dermatitis. And I would tell somebody, you know, they could put that on up to twice a day. I'd say on the eyelid, probably for three days in a row if they needed to, uh, without really any significant risk. If it was persisting longer than three days or that wasn't helping, then absolutely. Mm. It, it, it's totally reasonable and a good idea to go to the doctor at the outset. But if somebody wanted to try hydrocortisone, if they couldn't get to the doctor and wanted to try it for a couple of days, that would be very reasonable. I would tell them if if they were getting any worse to immediately go to urgent care because what we'd be concerned about if they start to get worse, any kind of dermatitis, whether allergic or irritant, can very easily get infected. And so if it's if it starts getting worse, it would tell us, oh, it might have gotten infected. Yeah. Very rare for that to happen, but right, that's what we're always we warn people about the rare stuff because if so that if it happens, they know what to do about it. But so I, telling people to if they can't get to the doctor to use uh, some hydrocortisone would be reasonable. The other question that I would imagine comes up all the time is, can I keep getting extensions, right? So I, I got a reaction, but I love the way that they look. Can I come back in, in three weeks to get another set of extensions? If it was, if the reaction was relatively mild, so not like what you were talking about earlier, where eye is terribly swollen and it's spreading beyond the orbit, almost for certain, yes, at worst, they would continue to get those kinds of mild reactions. If you had a client who really wanted, you know, a, isn't there anything else that we could do? It would be totally reasonable to take a little dab of glue, put it on a little, you know, a piece of paper, you know, a little 
whatever, and then take a piece of, let it dry, take a piece of medical tape and tape that piece of paper to their, to their inner forearm. So kind of in the crook of their elbow. If they were allergic, they should, so you're recreating that little patch test I talked about at the beginning. They would put the piece of waterproof medical tape over, tape that little piece of paper uh, right there and leave that on for about 36 to 48 hours, then take it off and see, did they get a reaction at that spot? It is going to be incredibly rare that anyone would. So allergy to octocyanoacrylate, as we talked about, is very uncommon, but it will give the client that maybe added level of comfort that they're not allergic. And if they did get a reaction there, then you would say, no, absolutely, we are not doing any more. But assuming they don't get a reaction, and I'm not talking a reaction from where the tape was, but a reaction right at the little piece of paper that we put the little drop of glue on, that would be something that you could reassure a client that they were not allergic. Now, it doesn't mean that they're not going to continue to get irritant reactions. But again, the irritant reactions are are generally short-lived, fairly mild, and things that you can address by taking extra steps in your protocol, even beyond, because I I know you guys are really careful anyways, but even the additional kinds of steps of trying to, you know, minimize the potential for irritancy, that'd be another thing that someone could do to try and reassure a client. Yeah. I want to, I want to go on a, a little deeper dive there. So what would you do in this case? Because in the very beginning, I frequently did that. We would do a patch testing like that. And sometimes it would produce a false negative. And as I look back and realize, put the pieces together now, they weren't allergic. But when we did their lashes and then like one eye would get swollen, it would be because one eye, it's irritant. It's an irritant mm-hmm. contact dermatitis. And then I would say, at that point, I didn't quite understand. This was years ago. And I didn't quite have a leg to stand on because then they would be like, well, you said that I wasn't allergic. So you must have done something to make this swollen. So your place is dirty or whatever it is. And so I kept going on and like what I learned and after talking with Dr. Stout, an eye doctor, is that because the skin is a little bit different, like you said, it's like very, very thin on the eyelids, is that sometimes it can, you know, I guess that that would be a great protocol if somebody really wanted to know if they were truly allergic or not, but it's not a guarantee that somebody's not going to get irritant contact dermatitis. Absolutely. So one of the things that I would say is, it, and I, this is something I frequently talk to patients about, another place this this comes up, people who have it much harder than you guys in this sense, people who do nails. I see allergy to artificial nails all the time. People get rashes on their eyelids and their neck from their artificial nails. And the reason that we see that, they're not like the nails harden enough and it doesn't always spread onto the tissue. It stays just on the nail. But then whenever you touch your face, (laughs) you spread from the nail wherever you touch. Those molecules, they they travel. Yeah. One molecule, right? Uh So, but with, with irritant reactions, like you're talking about, one of the things that I would potentially ask, you know, say to that client is in the 48 hours. So it's about 48 hours that the octocyanoacrylate is fully cured, right? It's 99% cured in minutes, but there's still not quite all the way. Did you touch your eyes at all in the two days after you left here? And even if they're like, no, you'd be like, so did you videotape yourself while you were sleeping? That was holding them against your eye, right? It's not you, right? It, it is, there's so many factors, but, but you're right from the, from the client's perspective, I get it from having talked to so many people through these issues. 
you like I did everything the same. I didn't do anything different than what I've done before. And this time, you know, when I went to that other studio, I didn't. And this time I did in the vast majority of cases, not anything you did. It's just the weather was different. They were under more stress. They touched their eye more, whatever. And it's not our job to figure it out. Our job is to say, if you have an issue and it's presenting, you can always have them go see a medical professional, say that I may have contact dermatitis and I need a script for a, a topical steroid. Now, I wanted to get back to the, I want to ask you about, is it okay for, I know you said for a short time to uh, use an over-the-counter hydrocortisone, but that's not to be used for a, a long, long period term. of time, right? Is that that's... Correct. So two couple of possibilities. So believe it or not, the one of these that's most effective at getting people to not use it long-term is saying it might thin your skin, make it crepier, wrinklier. It's gonna, <laughs> if you use it long-term, your eyes are going to look older. <laughs> Right. Yes. The, the medical reasons are it can cause glaucoma and cataracts you if you use it long term. Yeah. But even in somebody who had mild glaucoma or something like that, using hydrocortisone for two or three days is extremely unlikely to cause a problem. In somebody who doesn't carry a diagnosis of, oh, I see the eye doc, you are unbelievably unlikely to cause any problems using hydrocortisone, even up to two weeks. You'd be very unlikely to cause a problem. Now, I could certainly see, say that a, a, you know, a last professional told somebody, oh, use hydrocortisone, fine for a couple of weeks. And then I could totally see them going to a dermatologist and the dermatologist going, they told you what? Yeah. But if you, if you tell them three days, nobody's ever going to say three, like you put this patient at risk. There's such a high margin of safety with saying use hydrocortisone for, for three days. Now, let's say somebody was very allergic and they presented with that extreme itching and the extreme swelling that's spreading. And it's very, very rare, but it's very, very clear that it is an allergic reaction. Now, would hydrocortisone be effective in those situations no. to mitigate no. that? Okay. No. In situations like this where somebody's truly allergic, it is as if they took poison ivy and rubbed it on their eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, they're likely in that situation, they're likely to even need steroid pills because even very high strength prescription topical steroids are, are unlikely to be strong enough to really work when there's a true allergy. Well, that's so helpful. There's another point that I want to have you hit on is the safety. I know you already talked about the safety, but you have done extensive uh, patch testing on your uh, patients. And you mentioned that the nail, um, our sisters in the nail world um, have it a lot worse. There is just a persistent myth or a persistent fear that we're causing. The chemicals that we use are very harsh, right? Can you talk about the safety um, and how, how often you see reactions to cyanoacrylates in your practice? The yep. so cyanoacrylate allergy, uh, and I test literally everybody that I test gets tested against octocyanoacrylate we're talking thousands of people that I have tested. And these are people referred from other dermatologists because they have severe allergy problems. Because you're a specialist. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I I can't think of somebody that I've had a real allergy to octocyanoacrylate. I've had maybe, maybe one person in 500 tests positive. See, that's great news. Yes. And that, that doesn't mean one person in 500 in the population that means one out of 500 of people with severe allergy issues. That you have tested. Yeah. Right? So extremely rare. And, and such a big part of that is that, right, what makes octocyanoacrylate so ideal 
uh, for lash extension is that it cures so quickly. And so even if you put it, we we actually believed for a long time that there was no such thing as allergy to octocyanoacrylate because it all reacted as soon as it got on your skin and it couldn't, it couldn't get it right. It couldn't get into your down deep enough to to, to penetrate. Exactly. It couldn't penetrate and cause a problem. So octocyanoacrylate with the exception of like something ridiculous, right? You glue their eyelids together or you put it directly in their eye. You're just never going to cause any harm from getting octocyanoacrylate on people's skin. You're just not That's right. The, the, incre- the incredibly rare allergic person, but even then it's annoying, still not dangerous. Very good. So no. Okay. So now I'm going to pick your brain about a couple specific chemicals that people in lash circles talk about. One of them is carbon black. And that is like just the carbon pigment that is used to color cyanoacrylate. Sometimes people say, well, maybe they're allergic to the carbon black. Can you talk about... An ex- does- does not exist. There is no, exist. <laughs> to my knowledge, I'm sure there's been like one report out of like Sweden of somebody who was okay. black, but no, it just doesn't exist. It is it, in, it's an inert material. It's a toxic dish. absorber, right? Is it toxic? Yeah. yeah, right. Okay. That's good to know because there are a lot of people who'll share. They're trying to figure out what's wrong, and they go, "Well, it's because they have carbon black." And then they'll tell the client or say, "Well, you need a clear cyanoacrylate instead of the black cyanoacrylate." And sometimes they'll say it's effective, but what I'm going to bet is it was irritant contact dermatitis. And the second time they came back, their skin was in a better position, and so they had no reaction. And they attributed it to the carbon black, but really it was just irritant contact dermatitis, which is not consistent something you react to and unless you're, you know, it's an allergy. So, anyhow. Okay. So the next one is uh, PMMA, polymethyl methacrylate, which is uh, often okay. used as a stabilizer or a thickener, thickener yep. for adhesive. Yep. Yeah. So, so can you talk about that? This, this one is actually slightly controversial. Mm, all right. So good controversy. when I say slightly, I mean slightly. Okay. So methyl methacrylate, I see people allergic to that all the time. If a week goes by when I don't see somebody allergic to methyl methacrylate, that's a weird week for me. Mm-hmm. Now, polymethyl methacrylate, what they've done, so methyl methacrylate is a monomer that then whenever it gets activated, right, starts to polymerize. Mm-hmm. So the, the individual molecules clump together. Form a chain to then make Yeah, yes. form a chain. And so then it ends up making these tiny little spheres that are almost like microscopic grains of sand. Mm-hmm that, but they're nice and round and smooth. The question has always been, is there the potential for residual monomer to be present in a product that has, so PMMA, polymethyl methacrylate, are those little grains, little little microscopic little grains? Balls, yeah. And the question has always been, could there be residual methyl methacrylate monomer in there? And the answer, it seems to be no. So there's, it says, if you asked, there's probably a hundred people in the country who do what I do. If you asked all hundred of us, probably 99 of us would say, nope, there's no such thing as allergy to polymethyl methacrylate. Even somebody who, cause I get asked, I was allergic to methyl methacrylate. Can I use products that have polymethyl methacrylate? Mm-hmm. My answer is always yes. I don't have any concern okay. with you using PMMA, even if you have a confirmed definite allergy to methyl methacrylate. You can still but use But again, PMMA. there's slight controversy around that. Okay. There's no controversy around the carbon black, slight controversy around the PMMA. But in my opinion, PMMA is completely non-allergenic. Okay. Yes. 
Well, real quick, just to explain, because some people right now have no idea what we're talking about, by the way. What is this? What, when you say a thickener, just so our PMMA list, some of this, yeah. is an ingredient that's often used in the adhesive. Okay. So we've got For what this, purpose? It, because it thickens it. Okay. It, so, so, so it thickens it. lash artists. Yeah, don't it, know makes, that. it makes our cyanoacrylate glue less water like and a little bit more syrupy, right? And so sometimes, in an effort to try to figure out what clients are allergic to, they will be looking at the labels and saying, oh, this one's got PMMA in it. I better not use it because it's going to cause an allergy. Got it. And what Dr. Zyrus has just said is that it's not. It does not. It yeah. does not cause. And, and I would actually bet that products that do not have PMMA are going to be more likely to cause irritant reactions because the more watery it is, the more likely it is to run down the, the lash and get to the skin, right? The thickening makes it easier to control the glue. It uh, makes the glue less likely to spread. Yeah. Right. Yep. But we just got a few more minutes, oh, so we got to wrap this, wrap so this up. So maybe one okay. more thing, okay. and then we'll right. call it. A- okay, everyone is so scared about formaldehyde in the lash world. I know that formaldehyde can cause allergic reactions, but how common is it to be exposed to formaldehyde if you're only using, let's just say you're using like a cleanser and you're using cyanoacrylate, and those are your, your main two chemicals that you're using unbelievably unlikely so there's no formaldehyde in glues there are glues that have formaldehyde but not any that that are octocyanoacrylate none none that a lash artist would ever use the glues that have formaldehyde in them are used in industrial settings so nothing with the glue occasionally you'll find a cleanser that has a preservative that is distantly related to formaldehyde. That's the methyl isosylate. Those have gotten much, so there, there's, right, there's one called quaternium-15, mm. one called imidazolidinyourea, diazolidinyourea, and dmdm hydantoin, <laughs> and then one called bronopol. The worst, so 10 years ago, I saw a lot more problems related to those. As kind of the world has gotten smarter and consumers have gotten Savvy. better educated, <laughs> There's, I'm seeing less and less formaldehyde related preservatives. So that, uh, no. So when you brought up formaldehyde, my immediate thought was, where the hell would somebody get exposed to formaldehyde in lash extensions? <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous. Love it. Yeah. So no, I, I'm not at all concerned about formaldehyde. Okay. That's a big. There are lash artists who advertise themselves as formaldehyde free, and now you'll even get clients. I've gotten clients back in the old days when they were slime would call in and go. Um, I just want to make sure that you have glue that's formaldehyde free. And I get, and I would tell them, by the way, every lash artist you see is formaldehyde free. Just and people, there. lash artists, myself included, I would buy products that would absorb formaldehyde from the air. You know, just because I was trying to figure out why you married me. I <laughs> are you formaldehyde free? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> trying to figure out. You know. So anyway, that that is a, a, a huge relief for yeah. us. I have a feeling you probably want. Get, I would love get, to talk, keep again. talking. Yeah. yeah, I would love this, to have you I, back on again. I got to say, coming into this, I was like, what are we going to talk about for an hour? I could I could stay on for, yes, I would love to do this again sometime. Because what you're bringing to our audience is is knowledge. You are the specialist. You're the man who knows. And to have you have your brain picked apart uh, would be just a treat picked for us. Picked apart would be, yeah, great. yeah we'll do some surgery yes. here. But yeah, no, thank you so much for your time and hanging out with us. And we will definitely have to find another time to schedule you because I know, Tustin, I think you didn't get through half of it, right? No, you, no, I still have more. Like, but, there's literally tons of other I stuff. Want to be respectful of your time yeah. so. so thank you so yep. much and we'll have you back again sometime soon all right thanks guys
That's a wrap, guys. That's it. That's all we have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I want to ask you to please follow us on Instagram at Lashcast Podcast and at the Last Conference. And remember to subscribe, share, and review. On behalf of my Lash Hipster Tusty, as well as our special guest, Dr. Zyrus, I want to thank you for taking some time to listen. Keep on lashing. And remember, you have a friend in the lash industry.